even those young, young experiences that we don't necessarily remember, um, especially in elementary school, like we do internalize them, whether we actually like mm-hmm. really remember them or not. Um, and those kind of carry with you. I'm sure both of you maybe kind of remember. I remember some traumatic things from my elementary you know, <laughs> schooling year. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself like, oh, maybe that's why I feel this way about this particular topic or this particular subject, because that happened. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the fourth, fifth episode of Stuff We Don't Learn in School. Fourth episode of (laughs) Stuff We Don't Learn in School, I think. I'm almost positive. Today, we will be talking about standardized and IQ tests. Um, My name is Jenny. I'm Victoria. And today, we are joined with a very special guest, Brianna Amoscato. Would you like to introduce yourself, Bri? <laughs> I just met Vic and I know have known Jenny for quite some time. <laughs> Fun fact, I'm married to her brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So Brie has been in my life for wow, over 50% of my life now. Nine years. Holy crap. Anyways, yeah, so she's my sister-in-law. Um, so I For my vocation, I teach third grade at Hartwood Elementary School, which is part of the Fox Chapel Area School District. And this will be my sixth year teaching my little friends. So yeah, that's Bree. She's an elementary school teacher. And on the side, my life counselor, as well as many other life counselors. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking a lot about standardized testing and IQ testing, which Vic and I kind of were in deep with this whole standardized testing thing with the SAT and ACT. I took the SAT, Victoria took the ACT. Fun times. Bree knew my struggles with the ACT. Not the ACT, the SAT. In addition to that, Brie also teaches a lot with children who are in special education. So kids who are on various sides of the spectrum of autism and just a lot of other different things as well. Um, So I think it'd be really cool to hear her experiences teaching those kids and understanding. In Pennsylvania, we have essentially mandatory PSSAs and standardized testing statewide. And so, Brie, what are your experiences with standardized testing, both from high school and from teaching all of these kids, these little third graders, and their experiences with standardized testing as well? Sure. So I was a North Allegheny graduate, I suppose. (laughs) And I must say that I do think that through the years, certain school districts, particularly top performing school districts, there's been this heightened sense of awareness with PSSAs. The keystones I did not have to take. That was after me. I took the SATs, obviously, and the ACTs and the PSATs and whatever you take. But I also think that there's just been an increased amount of pressure with the different classes that you're supposed to take to challenge yourself to try to get just kind of watching you, Jenny, and I know some of your friends as well. Um, So obviously, standardized testing you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, so I would say in high school, it's always been kind of a big thing. I feel like now as an elementary teacher, at least the past, I would say the wave has been the past four years since I've been teaching third grade. We just 
spend so much time emphasizing, especially if you're in third, fourth, or fifth grade, there's a lot of pressure on teachers to make sure that your students are performing on the PSSAs to the level that they should be. So they should either be getting proficient or advanced, essentially. And though we have, we always learn in our curriculum classes in college, if you go through education, that you are not supposed to quote unquote teach the test. I think that as students and teachers, we are all guilty of doing such. Mm-hmm. Um, and in elementary school, that's particularly hurtful to a lot of my, my students who really are eight years old turning nine years old. And it's interesting because what we're pushing them to do, I certainly never had to know in third grade. And it's also interesting too, because all these standardized tests are essentially multiple choice. And we're also told as teachers in our all of our theory classes and things that multiple choice is actually one of the lowest level forms of actually being able to access knowledge and really like critically analyze what it is that you're thinking. And yet all of our tests are multiple choice and all of our standardized tests are multiple choice. So it's really just kind of, it's kind of like paradoxical in nature that we're taught all of these things that we're not supposed to do. And yet here we are preparing students to be able to look at a series of multiple choice questions and choose the right answer and cross out the ones that don't mean it. And we're teaching them all of these strategies without really realizing how it's impacting them and having them able to actually like not only access the knowledge, but what are they really learning? I ask myself that a lot (laughs) these days. I ask myself that a lot. What exactly are, what are we setting out to teach our students? And I'm not exactly sure if that's really helping. And I know like as an earlier teacher, obviously when you got your scores back and you saw like, oh goodness, all of my students or like 99% of my students were proficient in advance, you can pat yourself on the back all you want. I'm not exactly sure what that means, except for the fact that the school district gets kudos for that. You as a teacher get kudos for that. And you kind of just move on. But going back to, so I am, I consider myself a general ed teacher and a special education teacher. I graduated with both degrees. And throughout my six years, I have had, I would say at least seven or eight students per year with IEPs, which are individualized education plans. So to give you a good idea of some of my years of teaching. So my third year of teaching, I had six students who were on the autism spectrum. Um, who had various learning disabilities, um, two with very severe reading learning disabilities. They can be math learning disabilities. Sometimes it's a speech and language IEP where they are um, incredibly intelligent, but the way that they access information and the way that you go about trying to make sure that they're able to access that information is just very, very different from the normal student. So this year I have 26 students and out of those students, I have five with IEPs, two or three who are going to be going through the process to try to get an IEP so that not to label them, but just so that they are able to gain support in their middle school and high school years. I have eight students who leave for math support, nine students who leave for reading support. And I have two students who have behavioral needs or social emotional needs. And that's basically an average year for me that's usually how it is that sounds daunting when I say it that way you know students really aren't their disability right but just to give you a sense of what a a single teacher we don't switch teachers at all so one teacher is responsible for differentiating all of those lesson plans so within one math class I can be teaching three different lessons within one lesson so that's preparing three different lessons for reading and three different lessons for math to make sure that my higher level learners are accessing information that they're supposed to be, to making sure that you're modifying and adapting tests the way that they need to be and quizzes. And so just thinking about standardized testing from that perspective, 
you're creating these tests so that you're saying, okay, well, no, quote unquote, that's when they passed like the No Child Left Behind Act. And that's really when standardized testing um, became a big thing, especially mm-hmm. in elementary school. But okay, so we have all these students of varying levels of disabilities and they access information completely differently. But yet at the end of the year, they're all expected to take the exact same test with the exact same multiple choice questions. And yes, there is things such as extended time, but you can't assist, you can't help the students. And so it's just, it's just, it's just very interesting to think about it that way, that you're doing all these things And then at the end of the year, okay, friends, we're all going to sit in the same room and take the same test, even though I know you learn completely differently. And we're just going to hope that you do okay. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You mentioned uh, before that um, it comes to a point where teachers end up revolving their curriculum kind of around these tests and around how to eliminate answer choices to pick C whenever you don't know what the best answer is. Like you're teaching them testing skills when beyond high school and beyond college other than if you're taking the MCAT or whatever right or the LSAT like when would you ever need to know bubble in C right but I mean sadly like that a lot of what our education system is built on as far as measuring like oh did that student like learn that information or and can they regurgitate it back on a test I mean not not I wouldn't say all classes I took in college were like that, but a good chunk of them certainly were. Mm-hmm. Um, and same in high, I mean, in high school, high school and middle school, I just remember taking test after test after test. I don't know if it's still like that. I just remember just constantly taking tests. <laughs> so um, I feel like, you know, maybe in some, in some places, in some districts that has changed, but I think, you know, overall we're still kind of stuck in the same place. And interestingly, enough I, I'm I constantly am reading education articles but I did read one about two weeks ago and it was just saying you know after this wave of like no child left behind came about and all the standardized testing our students are no smarter than they were um about 50 years ago you know some argue that they are less <laughs> um so you know I mean like I sorry to sorry to sound cynical I know oh I, my I gosh, shouldn't know you caught me at a bad time but um <laughs> no I I think <laughs> I I do think like that's the case. I also think it's like this, this cyclical pattern of like, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like we are going to keep adding more standardized tests. The teachers feel pressured. So all of those great things they're doing to differentiate in their lesson plans, they have to stop doing to some point because, you know, you're supposed to be giving every student the same assessment, making sure that they're all getting that same information so that they're all prepared to take that same test. And so I've seen a lot of creativity, I think, especially in the younger grades, really dwindle over Mm -hmm. time simply because you know everyone's thinking ahead to that end test which happens in the spring um and it's interesting because you will hear teachers say after the test is over like oh my goodness I can finally go back and be a good teacher and that's really sad because that's months and months of um not feeling like you're teaching your students appropriately and then we have like two months left and that's when we feel we can really be the most creative so for those who are rebels like me I just kind of shut my door and I live in my own little land and I'm I'm (laughs) giving them what they need but we we definitely do our own thing because they a lot of them would be completely turned off from school by now Mm -hmm. at the age of eight if if I was constantly like giving them paper after paper and multiple choice tests after multiple choice tests I mean, I'm even turned off at the age of 17 at the prospect of taking practice test after practice test. Right. And you're quote unquote what we would call a high flyer. So imagine imagine the students who really struggle and that's what they're getting. And it just feels like you're pounding your head against a wall, you know, when you're given something constantly time after time, that's way above your head and you just can't access it the way that you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. Or no fault of your own, just that you're 
you know, you learn in a different way. Yeah. Do you have any specific examples of, I don't know, say a student who was like truly special in their learning capabilities, but seemed to struggle whenever it came to certain testing environments? Yeah, I would say actually interesting enough, the reason why I started the TEDx program at our school was to try to take the students who maybe weren't necessarily the best testers or who were quote unquote, the most intelligent on paper and get them to speak about something that they're really passionate about. And that, that's not all of them, but um, a lot of them, when you give them that opportunity, they really, really fly with it. And also a lot of the students that don't perform well on tests, they actually tend to be the students who are the most creative and the most artistic. Um, so when you're only focusing on those scores, you're really missing out on you know the whole child, which is what we talk about a lot. Um, I purposely, as a teacher, do not they get grades for the first time this year. And I actually never, ever put the grade on top of a paper. Um, I made that pact to myself a long time ago, just because I feel like as, as you get older, students are really driven by the grade, not necessarily like the want to learn. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them have absolutely no clue what the score even means going back to them. And I would prefer it to be that way yeah. in third grade. They're just like, oh, it looks like, you know, I always put plus the number instead of minus the number. And they're always like, oh, I did great. <laughs> they could have missed like a whole chunk of information. Um, and we, you know, we go over obviously the tests and I differentiate those as well. But really, I, I, I don't want them to be kind of groomed quote unquote from a young age that okay I'm only learning so that I can get this test so I can get the A or get the B so I, I always leave the grades off so they really they have no clue which which is which is That's good perfect. um that changes in the older grades for for sure but I feel like as you know I I feel like I can keep that magic alive if I can keep that magic alive I will so I do <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful I love the idea of the plus thing instead of writing <laughs> minus and writing plus whatever their score was or whatever they got right. That is so nice. And that is so cool. And what you said about <laughs> learning for the test and instead of like learning for the pursuit of learning, I can definitely attest <laughs> to that, especially in remote learning. Wow. I'm really getting tested right now. Like, am I a good person? Am I a bad? Like, am I going to be immoral? Like, <laughs> and I've been trying to find the value in a lot of my classes since sometimes if I don't like something, whether I realize it or not, I can be super closed minded and I will shut down before the teacher even delivers the material. So, for example, this year when I entered the school year, I was like, no, chem is a no. Physics is going to be a no. I don't like these classes, but I'm just going to take them. But I have been finding like the interesting part of chem and how conceptual it is. And it's just a tough balance because once you start trying to learn a lot, you're also sacrificing maybe other things or like other tasks yeah, and responsibilities. And it's a delicate balance. And I'm still trying to figure out what the optimal way is to go to actually understand chemistry and understand all of these cool topics while also doing things outside of school that I like and that I find enjoyment in. So that's been my biggest thing so far. Exactly. I think like that's a great point to make because I've never been more confident about a subject or more intrigued by the intricacies of a subject than chemistry. And then I didn't score as well as I thought on the AP chemistry test. And that just goes back to, it was degrading seeing that I didn't do as well as I thought I would. But chemistry is like, I am still extremely confident in the material. And 
the subject itself. So it goes back to the point that standardized testing really, I think, I mean, I think that I know chemistry fairly well. So <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. standardized testing well, doesn't exactly. Judge, like yeah. your self-worth by like, you know, what society has essentially created education on, right? Like mm -hmm. you get a bad score and that ultimately you say to yourself like, oh goodness, I'm not as intelligent as I sh should be or that reflects back on me. And then, you know, that creates this feeling as in like, okay, so I'm really bad at this. So, and you see that at a, at a really young age too, like I score bad on a math test. Okay, then I must be bad at math. Well, now I don't like math. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and young students, you have to be careful about that too. And a lot of students just have math anxiety in general. That's been a big thing that I've seen, um, which like more than half my class raised my hand, raised their hand this year when I asked them it, like at coming in, I always ask that question, like who has math anxiety or who gets like nervous and they, they pretty much all raised their hand. And so that's interesting too. So that, so then math is never their favorite subject. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just very interesting. I think you have to be careful. I think you know, experience it. We don't think about it, but like even those young, young experiences that we don't necessarily remember, um, especially in elementary school, like we do internalize them, whether we actually like mm -hmm. really remember them or not. Um, and those kind of carry with you. I'm sure both of you maybe kind of remember. I remember some traumatic things from my elementary, you know, <laughs> schooling year. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself like, oh, maybe that's why I feel this way about this particular topic or this particular subject, because that happened. I'm yeah. not blaming like one person, but I do think those experiences kind of build upon themselves over time. So I tell this story all the time. I am still <laughs> traumatized by it. I think of it pretty regularly when <laughs> I probably shouldn't because it's been what, maybe 10 years, a decade since it last happened. But in first grade, we had <laughs> this assessment, but it wasn't your typical assessment. It was we were split into groups and we would rotate. So the first station I was put in was with my really, really close friend at the time. And we were with the teacher and it was an assessment on problem solving. So we were given like maybe three problems and I distinctly remember the problem. It was about Sally and making sandwiches. <laughs> the whole about Sally. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, she has white bread, whole grain bread, jelly, jam, peanut butter. And then, no, and then I guess the problem solving part was, so based on all the material she has, how can she make a sandwich? And I don't know. I mean, we maybe were six, so it was like, use your brain to see where you can put condiments and how do you layer it or something. Right. And then I couldn't do it. Like, I remember my face was like, <laughs> like I was blushing super hard. And I like tapped my friend because I was like, oh, can you, you know, like help out? And then she was like, no. <laughs> and then, and then I, was, yeah, I was just like sitting there and I was like, oh no. And then that day or maybe that week or some period really briefly after the test, the teacher called my parents and was like, oh. Your child can't make a sandwich. <laughs> and was like, yeah, Victoria um, needs help in problem solving. She's uh, not doing too hot. And then... Wow. Now, I feel like it's been internalized that I don't enjoy things that involve strategy or more critical thinking. And I like things that are a little bit more, I guess, looser and more, I don't know, I guess less, less applicable or less logic based. And I think it has been internalized. Like this is such a trivial example, but we were playing Among Us. I don't know if you know the game. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's this really, really popular game that's about strategy. It's kind of like Mafia. 
that's basically problem solving. And I'm playing the game and I'm so bad. And I'm like, this is definitely because of the first race situation. Like, this, is, this has to be it. <laughs> like, why I'm getting out so often. Like, there's no other reason. So, yeah. No, it definitely no, younger. That, like I said, that's, no, that's a great, that was a great example. That's super funny, though. I'm trying to think of, like, just from, like, an elementary perspective, I'm thinking, like, what, what was that task? Like, what was the purpose behind that task? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Like, I would have been confused if somebody gave me, I feel like that's a lot of condiments to, like, hold in a six-year-old mind. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Wait, was the, was the point of it just to... interesting, though. Yeah, was it just <laughs> to, like, say, like, you put the bread and then, like, jelly and then, like, peanut butter and another... Yeah, but then I put <laughs> jelly, bread, peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was the opposite <laughs> My other answer choice I put because I was confused. This is my, this is my parents. I actually forgot what I put. I put bread, bread, bread as two. <laughs> like, like, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh. Well, like task analysis there. That's funny. That's yeah. <laughs> oh my god! What to argue back? Why couldn't you have a sandwich with bread, bread, bread? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean really. <laughs> It's just a bread sandwich at that point. It's just like yeah. a thick croissant. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what's interesting that like we talked about is a lot of the times like this does influence how we perceive ourselves and how we act because maybe, I don't know, but what happened like when I was younger and I mentioned this to Jenny a while ago was I was super shy. And I think part of that was because I didn't feel comfortable in the learning environment and because I wasn't doing too well on XYZ tests. But then in third grade, once I had a teacher who's like you, Brie, and was like super kind and really challenged us to think more and learn more things just for the sake of learning and not really focus on these things, I just developed, I don't know, like, I don't know what else to say. I guess my brain just, just <laughs> like the lid opened and like knowledge came flowing inside or something because like from then on, um, school became one of my favorite environments to be in. And now, I mean, eh, I don't know if that's the case, but I do enjoy learning. And I think a large part of that was because of that specific teacher and that kind of accumulation of experiences that showed how standardized tests weren't as important as I necessarily thought they were or what the PSSA said or everything like that. Mm -hmm. Right. That's beautiful. You should tell your third grade teacher that. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> she, um, she or he, he or she would love to, I'm sure, get that feedback. Yeah, I will. I will email her. Yeah, I'm going to write that down. Yeah, write that down. <laughs> <laughs> right now, Vic. Do yeah, it right that's now. Lovely. Well, I think I think a lot of what impacts students too, though, is really like that anxiety, right? Like they can feel it from the teacher and they can feel it from the classroom. And, you know, sometimes... Sometimes it might not even be that the student even has a learning disability. It really could just be that they're just very anxious to be in school period. Um, yeah. Which, you know, greatly affects things as well. So I'm yeah. glad you found your joy in third grade. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, like what you said about anxiety, the first time I took the SAT, I just had so much pressure and anxiety on myself that I didn't, I guess, do as well as I could have. Like, yes, there are pressures from the teachers and then you have pressure on yourself. But then there's also this other layer of parental pressure. So I guess my question is, like, 
have you experienced or seen any parental pressure with regards to standardized testing for like PSSAs? I don't know if they're as, you know, common in the PSSAs as they are for say the SAT or the ACT? Yeah, sure. And that's a good question. So we do um, what's called star testing, which is basically like progress testing throughout the year. And it's also ironically enough, a computerized based assessment that is also multiple choice and it's for math and reading. So I would say that's been interesting because I think like three years ago, they went to that. We used to have curriculum diagnostic testing, which is called the CDT. Uh, but that test took too long. So the STAR test, they now give about four times a year, at least in my district. And every district has different, you know, progress monitoring protocol. And I have a lot of parents who do always, you know, email me or call me after those tests and want to know their students' score. I, I would say they're, they're probably few and far between. Um, I think there's more parental pressure, quote unquote, in older grades you know, in middle school and, um, and beyond. I think, like I said, I think a lot of the pressure that's received in elementary school and even middle school is really from the teacher. And that, that sounds awful, but it's just, there's so much pressure coming down from upper admin, upper administration and teachers scores, um, our own like personal, like scores that we get every year that, you know, are centered around how our students do on those tests. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's also, you know, as far as anxiety goes, like it gives me anxiety, at least did the first two years. And, you know, that kind of um, has dwindled over time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would say that more of the pressure is definitely coming from like upper administration, um, which then funnels down to the principal and then funnels down into the teachers. But what I did want to like pivot towards is just, we've talked a lot about standardized testing and how it affects like the individual child. But what we didn't talk about is how standardized testing has also created this unequitable, I said, essentially like playing field, particularly in middle school and high school, we see it, but not so, not so much in elementary school, just because, because of those tests, whatever they're given, whether it's the PSSAs or the STAR tests, those multiple choice tests are constantly used to then put students on a track. Mm -hmm. And those students are then tracked and that tracking continues on through high school. Um, so that creates an interesting dynamic too, because at least in third grade, I have all students of all different types of, you know, like ability levels. And though it's challenging as a teacher, it's really nice because I feel like you don't have that sort of like power dynamic as in like, I'm better than you because they literally don't, if you adapt and modify like in a proper way, they don't even know that what you're giving them is different from what somebody else has. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what you want. Whereas like in middle school and high school, it just becomes very apparent who is in the quote unquote lower classes, who's in the honors classes, who's in the AP classes. And sadly, you know, a lot of those students who do have IEPs from a young age, those are probably not the students you can already predict who are the ones that aren't going to be tracked into specific areas when they probably maybe could handle it. And those could be strengths that they do have, um, but they're missed because of standardized testing because of the fact that they're just never going to perform to the standard that has been set by the district or by the state. And so you you guys probably definitely see it more often, but it's gotten to the point, I think, where you know, you're know you're so intensely tracked and like middle school into high school, that a lot of the classes that you take, you're seeing the same students um, and those other students kind of get left behind. And then it starts this whole, you know, this this whole discussion around, well, you know, are are the students who are tracked into those honors and AP classes, are they, are those students 
students who aren't in those classes getting the same quality education as the students who are. Yeah. Um, and that's a valid question. And I think we all know the answer to that to some extent. Um, you know, and so that brings up a whole different level of issues, which <laughs> the many issues and layers of education, but that's definitely one that comes to mind. And like I said, we don't, we don't really highly track in elementary school. You might see that in fourth and fifth grade, K one and two and three, you don't really see it. So I feel, I always feel good in the sense that, you know, although third graders can be a lot sometimes, it's just, it's a nice it's a nice place to be because you really get to create a nice inclusive environment. And that's not, and that's not usually the case in, in the upper grade levels. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a nice blank slate. Yeah, know? it is a nice blank slate for sure. Yeah. I feel like our high school, um, you know, just the sheer number of kids that are in our high school, it almost feels like, like two or three separate high schools per building, honestly, at this point. With yeah, the amount sure. of separation, like whether it's like academic honors or AP, because you have the academic kids and then the honors kids and then the AP kids. <laughs> so it's like three separate high schools right in one. And it's, it's crazy because then I don't meet like 75 to 80 percent of the kids in my grade, which is kind of insane if you think about it, because I'm with these kids for like four whole years, like four to six years, essentially. It's like what Jenny said. I told this to someone the other day, but I think in movies it's depicted like there are specific social hierarchies depending on what sport you do or what clubs you do or what you value. But almost in high school, maybe this is just me, I found it's not even like this social hierarchy. It's become this class hierarchy. Like Jenny mentioned, where if you're with AP students, you're just with AP students. And then honor students are just with honor students and academic students are just within with academic students. And it's, yeah, it's almost a distinction between class, which I thought was interesting because I thought middle school was more so based on social like groups. And activities. Kind of like and with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing about tracking and how in elementary school, there's not too, too much of it. And most kids don't really notice or realize if you do a good enough job of integrating the different learning ways together. In middle school, definitely there starts to be this divide. But in high school, I've noticed there are people I was super close with freshman year. And now where we are and kind of like what we want is super different. And, you know, you can't help but think like, is it because of programs like goal or mm -hmm. I guess goal stands for like gifted education or something along those lines or programs like speech and debate where it does exclude people just given the nature of it and I know I've grown a lot from it and I've changed a lot of my views and also how I write how I speak how I act and it's like things like that that are already almost divisive in a sense how much does it play into like the outcome of now where I see other people versus me versus and kind of like how everyone's trajectories are going. No, yeah. And I constantly think about this all the time, speech and debate, right? So obviously Victoria and I do speech and debate. And, you know, we have these national tournaments where we're like, oh, we know people who like final at these national tournaments. And it's like, wow, they're, they're one of the best speakers in the nation. And then I think about 
all of the kids who just weren't given that opportunity to join speech and debate and the potential that they have, but just because they were put in an environment where the opportunity to speak their mind and speak their truth and share their voice in speech and debate just wasn't given to them. That's perhaps why there is just so much talent that we don't see. I'm just now thinking like that relates to standardized testing so much because because there's so many kids who are put in bad environments. I'm thinking of like the SAT, right? And the terrible implications that come with the SAT as well, because there are so many students who are put in bad environments and don't have the resources or the time, frankly, to sit down and take all of these really intense, rigorous practice tests and then review their answers and then eventually, you know, get a good SAT score or an ACT score. And as much as people say, like, standardized test scores don't get you into college, they're definitely, well, this is the pressure that I felt recently, you know, going into my senior year. There was so much pressure saying, like, if you don't do so well in the SAT or just in standardized testing, period, then your future won't be as good, which is scary. The amount of weight that is put in standardized testing. And same goes, honestly, with like IQ testing. I remember, you know, we have the goal program and I remember um, like I was so scared for taking the IQ test to get into the to the goal program and just like how stupid the test was to be honest like the goal program is absolutely amazing and there are so many opportunities but but the IQ test itself was just like I didn't I didn't really see a point in that I don't know do you have any experiences with the IQ test specifically Brie? Yeah so I mean students can get into goal as early as first grade um, which I just find to be a little interesting, um, just because, I mean, in my, in my personal opinion, I just don't, I don't think that that's probably the right grade level to put somebody in goal and automatically like say that they're gifted. I've had a lot of students who have been labeled gifted in the past. I will say that there have been a lot that I have had to have a talk with regarding being humble, um, <laughs> what that word means. Um, because unfortunately, like what that does, so it's, this is not always the case, but has been in the case in, in a few scenarios. It's just, you have one or two students who are, usually it's one, maybe two a year in a grade level that are gifted. Um, and I think, I think actually, at least from when I was going to school, they raised the number that you need to get in to gifted now. It's a lot more difficult. Um, I don't know who decided that, but you know, education, good times. Um, so, so anyway, so yeah, so I've had students and, and I think some students, you know, they, they carry themselves a little bit, even in third grade with a chip on their shoulder, as in I'm going to gifted and you're not going to gifted and everybody knows that I'm going to gifted. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, that's not always, always the case. And I, I, you know, I, I speaking from someone who was never quote unquote labeled gifted, although I suppose my husband was, um, <laughs> I think that was the gifted program as well. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we, I've also thought about this a lot, but I've had a lot of students who are incredible, incredibly high achievers. And there's a really fine line between students who are gifted and students who are high achievers. And I've had some parents who have been very disappointed when the score comes back and they say to me, like, you know, I really, I just really thought they were gifted and they think the world has ended. 
And I tell them, you know, number one, students can always get retested if they really want to. Um, and that's, you know, that's more parent driven, even though it doesn't have to be. <laughs> um, but two, I would say that a lot of the students that I've had who are high achievers, those are really the students that have the excellent work ethic, that are humble, um, that, you know, really think outside of the box are very creative. It's, it's, you know, it's not always the students that are gifted. And I think that's the misconception there is that if my child is not gifted, the world is going to shatter, <laughs> which is not the case. And I think, you know, there's a lot of students who, you know, their, their scores wouldn't even get them close to being gifted, but they are like artistically incredibly mm -hmm. gifted. Um, yes. And if we go back to, I'm just looking at your note sheet here to make sure I didn't miss anything. Um, you had all of Gardner's theories of multiple intelligences, which again is like the big theory class that we take, or at least one of them in education. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's certain intelligences that we really value over others if we're being honest with ourselves. And if we actually looked at the whole picture and remembered all the intelligences, you know, there, there, there wouldn't be this whole, oh, I, I wish my child was gifted or your child's better at this. You know, it's, it's kind of like when we think about standardized testing, you know, we, our standardized testing is reading and math. Well, what if you're not a student who is really, really good at comprehension or solving math problems? There are about 9,000 other intelligences that <laughs> don't have anything to do with reading or math yeah. that you could be incredibly good at and or, and or gifted at that are not necessarily measured in that single standardized test. Exactly. And I've recently become obsessed with a musician named Jacob Collier. I don't know if either of you know who he is, but he is. He's got to be one of the most intelligent people, I think, on this planet, period. And he's he's a musician who knows all about harmonies. And, you know, Brie, you're obviously very musically gifted as well in your piano playing and chords. And I could, I could never, on improving on the piano, I can't improv, period. <laughs> so there's that. But he's just an absolute encyclopedia of harmonies and harmonics and melodies and negative harmonics that match with melodies and then if you go here but then you end here it sounds you're going back home I'm like what in the world is he talking about but it's 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 honestly beautiful to like kind of watch his mind unfold in all of these different pieces but that's just one form as you said of intelligence and of giftedness and, and that form of intelligence and giftedness, you can't measure in standardized testing and in regular reading comprehension or mathematical standardized testing as well. So I think that's just really what those forms of testing kind of miss. It's, it's weird how like IQ tests originate and I'm not gonna go too in depth with the history of IQ tests just because that's kind of the main focus of the newsletter. So audience, if you want to know about the history of IQ tests, which are really racially based, the history is actually very disturbing. There's a lot behind it that goes with eugenics and killing people because they didn't score a certain score, particularly the Nazis. So there, if you want to learn more about that, read the newsletter. It's great. Again, written amazingly but you know the history is disturbing and just the fact that we continue to use those tests to um, differentiate and categorize students and people in general is it's a little disturbing to me I'm not gonna lie and I guess on that note we can close this off so make sure to follow us 
on Instagram, which is at Stuff We Don't Learn in School, and sign up for our newsletter again. And that's on our website, which is stuffwedontlearninschool.org. Plug in your email and you're automatically signed up. And our ending quote is actually a quote that I said. This has kind of nothing to do with this podcast. I just thought it was cute. <laughs> because it's the quote that I quoted at Bree's wedding <laughs> as my best woman speech. And it's in reference to my brother. <laughs> it's a Bob Ross quote. And the quote goes, let's give him a friend. As I always like to say, everybody needs a friend.